Good morning, Sangha. <clears throat> I just love the energetic field in this room. Can you feel it? So, the morning instructions <clears throat> for the, our time together have all been about sati, vipassana, insight meditation, the saripatthana, mindfulness, the core elements of what the Buddha taught about this meditation. So for the first few days we had the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, and experienced as anchoring in the breath, or anchoring in body sensations. Or maybe hearing associated with the sense doors. And then we moved on to the second foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness of feeling tone. The feeling of pleasant sensation or unpleasant sensation, also known as pain, or neutral sensation. And then we moved on to the third foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness of mind. Watching thoughts arise and pass away and emotions and body sensations associated with thinking and emotions and mental states, feelings of grumpiness that um, just flavor awareness and flavor perception. That influence how we take in any objects in our environment. That's the third foundation of mindfulness. <coughs> mindfulness of mind. And then the fourth foundation Dara told us about the five hindrances, about aversion and greed. And those words are just, you know, there's probably a hundred different ways those two show up in these heart and minds. And then there is sleepiness and restlessness and worry. And those 
also show up in very different ways, in different strengths. And then doubt. (coughs) That's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness of dhammas or mental objects, mental factors. (coughs) And this morning, we're going to do, I guess this is the last instruction for the retreat, instructions. Probably my favorite, (laughs) is that greed? That could be greed right now. (laughs) Or, um, I don't know. If it is, it's a wholesome greed maybe. (laughs) And that is the seven factors of awakening. It is what is in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And I think I've been seeing some elements of it in everyone that I've seen in groups. And even walking around, I think um, I have seen some elements of it. This is what the Buddha said about the awakening factors. Then a certain monk approached the Buddha. <clears throat> Having approached the Blessed One, he saluted him and sat down at one side. Venerable Sir, awakening factor, awakening factor, in what way, Venerable Sir, are they called awakening factors? Monk, they bring about awakening. Therefore, they are called awakening factors. <laughs> Pretty simple. (laughs) He also said, just as a river inclines and flows towards the ocean, so the awakening factors incline towards Nibbana. So, on the first morning I talked about us being in ceremony together, in sacred ceremony, creating sacred space in this room that enlightened people have taught in. You know, it's a sacred opportunity. So what kind of ceremony have we been in? Is it an awakening ceremony? This is what Gil Fransdahl says about that. If we want to base our lives on aspiration rather than craving, we have to give ourselves time to discover our deepest wishes. Aspiration often arises from a non-discursive part of the heart and mind. That's chitta. (laughs) Aspiration often arises from a non-discursive part of the heart and mind. Craving and clinging are often tied to the discursive world of planning, thinking, and fantasy, while aspiration is associated with inner stillness and relaxation. Sometimes it is only during long contemplative periods that people discover what they most want to base their life on. It is also important to respect both ourselves and our aspirations. 
It is easy to dismiss both our aspirations and the search for them. Believing that we are not good enough, capable, or deserving can leave us feeling unfulfilled and regretful. In the world of aspiration, it is far better to try and fail than to never try. So here's our opportunity to ask our heart, how do I want to live my life? What do I want to base my life on? So the seven factors of awakening. And let's, you know, Let's sit in meditation while I go through this and let it go straight to citta. Just let your heart receive it. We can even ask our heart, what are my deepest aspirations for my life? Maybe listening with a full body awareness, just being embodied with an open mind and heart. So the first enlightenment factor is mindfulness. Not forgetting to be present. With gentleness, it brings us back to what is happening in these hearts and minds. (coughs) Presence of mind, being face to face with whatever is arising, rather than giving it only a sidelong glance. They say that the arising of mindfulness is caused by close association with wisdom. Just being around people who respect it and practice it.
The Venerable Analayo says, important aspects of sati are bare and equanimous receptivity, receptive to just rest back, combined with a broad and open state of mind. The task of sati is the de-optimization and Bonnie's terms, decolonizing <laughs> of habitual reactions and percept- perceptual evaluations. It holds mental objects in the middle. We don't get on the thought train but we watch as it passes the station. We don't deny, but we don't obsess. That's the first of the enlightenment factors, mindfulness. Do you know if mindfulness is present in your mind right now? Knowing if mindfulness is present or knowing if it's absent. Mindfulness leads to the second enlightenment factor which is investigation, dhamma vichaya, discrimination of states. There's a sweet little quote about King Melinda who lived after the Buddha. He was a Greek king actually, a Greek king who lived in Afghanistan. And one of the dialogues between King Melinda and his teacher the king asks, how many of the seven factors of enlightenment does one actually awaken? You know, essentially asking, what is the key element of liberation? Nagasena replied that awakening is by means of just one, this factor of investigation of dhammas. So why then, the king asked, does the Buddha speak of seven factors of awakening? Nagasena says, does a sword placed in the sheath and not grasp in the hand succeed in cutting what needs to be cut? In exactly the same way, your majesty, 
One cannot awaken by means of the awakening factor of Dhamma investigation without the other six awakening factors. What does investigation look like in our heart and mind? Determining what is skillful and what is not. Determining if our intention or motivation leads to happiness or leads to its opposite. Seeing personality as ever-changing and shifting. Seeing how we, rather than how we make thoughts and identities, seeing how thoughts and identities make us. This is what Dilgo Kensei says about that. When a rainbow appears, we see many beautiful colors. Yet a rainbow is not something we can clothe ourselves with or wear as an ornament. It simply appears through the conjunction of various conditions. Thoughts arise in the mind in just the same way. They have no tangible reality or intrinsic existence at all. There is Therefore, no logical reason why thought should have so much power over us, nor any reason why we should be enslaved by them. Once we recognize that thoughts are empty, the mind will no longer have the power to deceive us. But as long as we take our deluded thoughts as real, they will continue to torment us mercilessly as they have been doing throughout countless past lives. So, investigation, just interest in things like, what is this? What's going on here? Is interest in the mind right now? Just knowing. Is interest here? Investigation. Is investigation present? What does it feel like? What is the energetic hit of it? 
What does it motivate us to do? Or is investigation absent? What does that feel like? Just knowing if investigation is present. And then investigation leads to energy or effort. It's a power to do. The Buddha said this about that. In one who investigates and examines that state with wisdom and embarks upon a full inquiry into it, tireless energy is aroused. On whatever occasion tireless energy is aroused, on that occasion the energy enlightenment factor is aroused and one develops it and by developing it, it comes to fulfillment. Energy can be felt both mentally and physically. It feels like strength. Strength to assess what's happening. It feels like courage, like Mara saying, I see you crazy thoughts. I'm not afraid of you. The quality of earth holding anything with courage and equanimity. Bring it, bring it delusion. I got this. What causes energy to arise? Samvega, spiritual urgency reflection on the preciousness of our current circumstances. When will you be in retreat again? When will you have the chance to practice? This is a rare and precious opportunity, reflecting on that. (coughs) Reflecting on death. We never know when our time is up. using this opportunity wisely. Reflecting on the only thing that we ever keep, ever, 
as our karma. And reflection on the unsatisfactoriness of sensual pleasure. That's the cause of energy to arise. Knowing if energy is in the mind, the heart-mind, or knowing if energy is absent. And we can call up any of these factors. May energy arise. Set an intention. May mindfulness, may investigation, may energy arise. And energy leads to joy and rapture. (coughs) I've seen joy in a lot of hearts over the past days. Some other names for it are rapture where we might feel it physically in our bodies, tingling happiness. I've been feeling these waves of just really sweet pleasure in my body the past couple of days. It's experienced as happiness or delight and can be triggered by a delight in knowing or a delight in an insight and clear seeing. This is what our Zen relatives say about it. It is not like going out in a shower in which you know when you will get wet. In a fog, you do not know you are getting wet. But as you keep walking, you get wet little by little. If your mind has ideas of progress, you might say, oh, this pace is terrible. But actually, it is not. When you get wet in a fog, it is very difficult to dry yourself. We say, pulling out the weeds, we get nourishment We give nourishment to the planet. We pull the weeds and bury them near the plant to give it nourishment. So even though you have some difficulty in your practice, even though you have some waves while you are sitting, those waves themselves will help you. So you should not be bothered by your mind. You should rather be grateful for the weeds because eventually they will enrich your practice. So how do we strengthen joy? We can reflect on Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, on the three jewels, 
I love this one. It's actually very wholesome to reflect on your virtue, on things that you've done in your life that reflect right action and right speech. It's very wholesome to know what your positive qualities are and to take delight in them. It's very wholesome to reflect on acts of generosity. Think about your generosity and your good qualities and say to yourself, sadhu, 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 well done. Reflect on the devas, invite them in, feel them dancing around you. Joy. I remember going to see my teacher Joseph once and I said, I keep telling myself jokes in my mind. And he said, that's joy. And joy leads to calm, tranquility. When the refinement of joy in the body and mind calm down, the enlightenment factor of tranquility, relaxation arises. This is what the Buddha said about that. What, venerable one, is the reward and blessing of wholesome morality, of sila? Freedom from remorse, Ananda, and freedom of re- fr- and freedom from remorse, joy, Ananda. And what is the reward and blessings of joy? Rapture, Ananda, and of rapture, tranquility, Ananda. We promote tranquility by anchoring in our breath. By doing body scans, sending metta throughout our bodies, gratitude for how it's working for us. We develop calm by settling back into experience by noticing our trying, 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 or striving, striving, striving. Just noticing that. Inclining the mind with little reflections. When walking, just walk. When eating, just eat. When giving a Dharma talk, just give a Dharma talk. 
noticing if calm is present in the mind or if it's absent from the mind. Just knowing that is calm here right now. What does calm feel like? What's the energetic hit of calm? What does it motivate us to do? What does it feel like savoring calm and tranquility? And calling it up, may calm arise. The Buddha said, these two qualities have a share in clear knowing. Which two? Tranquility and insight. When tranquility is developed, what purpose does it serve? The mind is developed. And when the mind is developed, what purpose does it serve? Passion is abandoned. When insight is developed, what purpose does it serve? Discernment is developed. And when discernment is developed, what purpose does it serve? Ignorance is abandoned. And tranquility leads to concentration. Metta and other Brahma-viharas are concentration practices, samadhi practices. Is concentration in the mind right now? Can we hold onto an anchor without wavering? We taka and we chara, finding our anchor and staying on our anchor. How we develop concentration, again, reflecting on our sila on our good qualities, knowing that it is our birthright that we deserve it. The bliss of blamelessness. Is concentration present in the mind now or not? Just gentle investigation. If there is concentration, what is the energetic feel of it? What is the Vedana, the feeling tone? What does it motivate us to do? 
And then the last enlightenment factor that comes after concentration is equanimity. Equanimity is not moved by the vicissitudes of life, loss and gain, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute, praise and blame. It is again like the earth, bring it, it's all okay. This is how life is. An unshakable balance of mind. The third Zen ancestor said, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When attachment and aversion are both absent, the way is clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. This is what our spiritual grandfather Ajahn Chah said. He said, well, here's a story about him. At one point, Ajahn Chah held up a cup in front of a group of his yogis. He said that the best way to relate to the cup as if it has already been broken. We use it and we take care of it, but we remain unattached because we know it is subject to change. This is what our sister teacher Sharon Salzberg said. This is the very nature of life. No one in this world experiences only pleasure and no pain, and no one experiences only gain and no loss. When we come to this truth, we discover that there is no need to hold on or to push away. Rather than trying to control what can never be controlled, we can find a sense of security in being able to meet whatever is actually happening. This is allowing for the mystery of things, not judging, but rather cultivating a balance of mind that can receive what is happening, whatever it is. This acceptance is the source of our safety and our confidence. So those are the seven awakening factors. Three of them enliven the mind and three of them calm the mind. And one important discernment we can do is balance those. And it's said that if we're experiencing one of them, the others are probably there but at a much less discernible amount. And what we do is 
if we're too aroused, if energy is too high, if joy and rapture is too much, we just, with our mindfulness, look for tranquility in there. Where is tranquility? Just shift our attention and that will balance out the factors. Where is equanimity? Or if our mind is very tranquil and the calming factors are stronger, we look for the enlivening factors. Where is investigation? Where is energy and joy? In this way, mindfulness balances the factors. Let's, let's rest in the seven factors.
So we <coughs> probably have time for a few questions before a few announcements. Any questions <laughs> or comments or insights? Yes? The insight was that Yes. Oh, I love that. There's not bad people. There's just greed, hatred, and delusion everywhere. <laughs> I love it. And yes, unfortunately, there's a lot of greed, hatred, and delusion in the system. Absolutely. You know, that's why uh, the Buddha, he actually, you know, created a monastic way, and, you know, a monastic community. He said, I'm not being played by all that, you know, which was an incredibly progressive thing to do in my mind. He said, I'm not playing that. What strength. Yeah. Yes? Resistance? What do you mean by resistance? And ex you mean of what is arising in the moment? Of course we have um, power. We have to not forget that. We absolutely do. And <clears throat> and we can't be dependent on any external condition for our own well-being. I mean, I think that is... For me, one of the most important aspects of our practice is that even if, you know, the very best person we could think of was president or <laughs> if conditions were changed, if we got rid of advanced laissez-faire capitalism, this is all my desires here. <laughs> and if, you know, the various knowledge systems of all of our ancestors were respected and practiced, if we had, you know, knowledge democracy and wisdom democracy, even then it would feel unsatisfactory <laughs> because it's a conditioned thing. And there would still be praise and blame and fame and disrepute and pleasure and pain and praise and blame. There would still be that. 
because it's the conditioned world. So, you know, we do our work here because this isn't, you know, to think that we're not, okay, I'm going to, trigger warning, trigger warning. (laughs) 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 I've seen our president right here, you know, some thoughts that I have, some motivations that I have are totally based on greed, hatred, and delusion. And that's what we're working with immediately now. And that will determine our future. The only power we have over the future at all is the quality of our mind in this moment. And that's what we're working to cultivate. To understand clearly the three characteristics the unsatisfactoriness of conditioned life, of the impermanence of everything, and of our deep interconnectedness. If we're not seeing that in everything we're doing, our vision is deluded, our hearts are deluded. And we can hold that with kindness and grace, but if we're not seeing that, we're deluded. We're not awakened. And of course, you know, who's going to just sit back and not do something? We can't just sit back. And everyone, you know, does that in their own way. And we have to respect how people show up for that. Yeah. I think Ross said, you know, there's things that we do with our immediate family, and there's mar- marches on Washington, and everything in between. Yes? That's a good question. (laughs) How do I do it? You know, do some reflections are also excellent. That's one thing the Venerable Analia, one of our most wonderful monks who's, you know, he says that we can always incline our mind towards insight and incline our mind towards what is skillful in the moment, so... You could even just set the intention, may calm arise in me, may equanimity arise in me, or do some equanimity phrases. I left those on the board for you, by the way. (laughs) May I accept things just as they are. (laughs) May my mind be undisturbed by what's going on in this room right now. (laughs) And then you know, gently also stating your truth, 
like, you know, this is going to sound very academic, but something like, you know, let's just sit back here a minute and make sure that there is testimonial justice happening, that everyone's voice is being heard equally. You know, just calmly saying things like that. And then also, you know, realizing that we don't have a lot of control over that situation. And, <clears throat> you know, um, I'm sure I've said this in this room before, but it's so important to me. Ananda said to the Buddha, Blessed One, isn't good company half of the holy life? Good company is really half of the holy life. And the Buddha said, don't say that, Ananda, don't say that. Good company is the whole of the holy life. So, you know, I'm not saying that you should look for another job, but <laughs> there, might be, um, there might be people that you have more resonance with in that environment. And maybe you could say, hey, let's, let's have a sit together once a week or let's just connect with each other and hear each other's pain and find ways we can support each other once a week or something like that. I'm sorry that's happening to you. So we do have a few. Okay, one more. <laughs> okay. um, that was a really powerful visualization, I think, of the factors of enlightenment. Um, and I found myself kind of going back to the parallels between like the Eightfold Path in yoga as it relates to liberation. And, and connecting that back to thinking just how, you know, someone said it yesterday around like our indigenous ancestors from all over the world have given us tools for liberation. And it, it kind of brought me into a little bit of awareness or wisdom around, you know, they also struggled with monarchies. Yeah, with excellent, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that is so beautiful. Thank you. That's like a reminder of a reflection. Oh, so the reflection was that, um, you know, even our ancestors who, you know, we have this genetic wisdom that's ready to unfold with some paying attention, that even out throughout history, there's never been a time where there was a perfect leader. There's always been greed, hatred, and delusion in every generation. So, And the wisdom to really hold that the best way is already in there for us. You know, we can call it Buddha nature. We could call it ancestor wisdom. It's absolutely there. And that's beautiful. And do that reflection. Yeah, that's really nice. It's making my heart get all warm. <laughs> See, that, that's why we love wisdom democracy. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you so much, Dara. You can tell Dara's in charge, man. She's got it.
if you want to get stuff done, put her in charge. But you better pay her well, because <laughs> I'm watching. <laughs> so a few announcements. So please be aware that there is some slight schedule changes. So there, please attend the 2.30 sitting for sure, because there will be some announcements that are important to all of us. And then at 3.15, there will be a sitting, and at 4 o'clock there will be a sitting. Is that what he says? Yeah. Oh, yes, at 4 o'clock uh, the managers are going to have a meeting and share, um, you know, what we have learned over many, many years about the best way to do integration. Yes. So um, we're also going to have a picture at um, picture taken will be at three o'clock. We're gonna wouldn't that be beautiful? We're gonna have a picture of all of us together. Oh, <laughs> and we're actually gonna take two pictures because we totally respect that. Maybe there's people who don't want to be seen with the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> who knows why? <laughs> so we're gonna take one picture that uh, with everybody in it that will be circulated to everyone. And then we're going to take a second picture that might be posted on Facebook or used in some way. And if you don't want your picture in that one, there'll be an opportunity for you to step out. But if you do stay for the second one, and we really invite everyone to stay for that as an expression of gratitude to IMS, really. And um, we you know, ask that you stay, but totally understand if you don't want to. Just know that that picture will probably probably be circulated. I know I'm putting it on my Facebook page. So. <laughs> yeah. There will be a... Um, is that bad? <laughs> I feel like that's one way that our interconnectedness is being seen. It's like, wow. There will be mindful movement with the wonderful Booker at 4.30. 4.30 today, so please check the schedule. And um, we are, this afternoon, going to have an engagement with the practice of mindful speech. That's huge. You know, just to let you know, I personally have added, may I have skillful and wholesome speech to my metaphrases, because that's really so huge, isn't it? May I have skillful and wholesome speech. So we, uh, so our wonderful TTs, I think, right, are going to be leading a wonderful exercise in mindful speech in the afternoon. So we will actually have an opportunity to uh, learn about mindful speaking, and then we will immediately after that go back into silence. So just really, <laughs> it'll be an opportunity to you know, feel, you know, that, and it's important, you know, it could be very helpful to feel what it likes to be engaged in outward, you know, outward looking and movement and what it feels like to then to go back in. It'd be interesting. So now is the perfect opportunity to practice as change is right upon us. <laughs> These are Dara's beautiful words. Take the, you know, this is a great opportunity, as is every moment to see what's going on here. 
It's a great opportunity, a perfect opportunity to watch and to be present and to set our intentions of non-harming and love and feel that in our heart, just feel that. <laughs> Have a wonderful morning. We're having groups now. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.